0: And last week what we looked at is the, the response to the resurrection at the end of Matthew was to, be, uh, to go out in the world, and make disciples, to baptize, and to teach people Jesus' commands. That was the task of the church in the first century, and that's the task of the church today in response to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And you may say, you know, isn't it possible to kind of like assent to the resurrection to believe that it happened, or, or to at least believe that it could have happened to somebody, and yet it still doesn't bring uh, me intimacy with God. It still doesn't really affect my life that much. It still doesn't help me deal with the anxiety that I feel on a day-to-day basis. I don't have any freedom from the fear that I kind of constantly feel. And m- many of you may be in that, in that place, and you have that question about how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ kind of like... Uh, affect me in, in the moment uh, with how I live and how I think. And I think that that's a great and wonderful question and what this text addresses. Because it's got to be, if God created us, it's got to be more than just like mental assent that he's there and that something happened, right? Um, one theologian put it like this. He said, if there is a creator And you never gave thanks to him or her, whatever the creator is. Then it's like living on somebody's property, and the name, their name is everywhere on the property, that they own the place. And day in and day out, you see these signs, but you pretend like they aren't there. And you know, because of the signs, but you also know that you don't own the place, uh, that it doesn't belong to you. But you continually, day in and day out, uh, just squat. You're a squatter. This is how the scriptures speak about the existence of human beings that everything we are, everything we think, everything we feel is borrowed, that even our consciousness is not ours. It's a gift that has been given to us. Here's the offer of Christianity. Uh, When you acknowledge that and you begin to live in light of that, what comes into your life is dependent rest as a creature, which is what we are, dependent on a creator, a benevolent creator who speaks all the time personally to you. Now, uh, that's what the Bible calls true knowledge. Um, And to acknowledge God as he has acknowledged us looks like obedience from the inside. And our passage we're going to look at and explore is this notion of acknowledging God who speaks under these three points. The hiddenness of truth, the reversal of truth, and the humility of truth. And um, if you do have more questions after this service, and like you don't want to come talk to me, I would love to talk to you, by the way, and many other people would. But there are uh, resources on a sheet on the entryway that uh, are, can point you to various books and quotes that can help think through this. But the, the first point is the hiddenness of truth, and this is the longest point, and we see the hiddenness of truth b- uh, behind wealth and facts. And so I'm going to describe that to you as we walk through this passage. So this passage is about a rich man and a poor man. 19 through 21 says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So, This is a parable, and what a parable does, its job, is to show us the hidden truth of the way that God sees the world. Kind of like behind our experience and behind the way the world normally operates, parables teach us what the kingdom of God looks like from God's perspective. So just like in our day, in the first century, it seems like rich people are the blessed ones like this rich man here. But the truth is, sumptuous living isn't necessarily the happy life. It's not necessarily uh, the blessed life. And consequently, poor, dependent living isn't necessarily the cursed life. Now, this tells us something about how to know things. The point is, true happiness isn't discernibly obvious in the world. Nor in your life. Okay? At the very least, one of the things this parable teaches us is that if we can live comfortably independent from other people, if we have full stomachs and nice clothes, it's very, very, very hard to see the truth. The truth can hide behind our lack of need. Wealth can help us believe the lie that we are our own authority. Very important. Lazarus didn't have that option. Uh, Lazarus didn't have the luxury to not beg, Mm. to not ask for handouts. Uh, He didn't have the luxury to comfortably live independent from other people, someone else's table. Uh, If we have uh, the, the, the sight to see this, Lazarus shows us what it means to approach God, what it means to approach even how we know things. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed about our own culture right now is that we, it's kind of cool to talk about like how bad wealth is and, and what it does to us, but very, very few of us actually do something to combat it in our own hearts. Very few of us actually um, give our wealth away that would cause us to be uncomfortable. The scriptures say that the law of Jesus and the law of God is actually better than my own personal comfort. Uh, Just like alcohol, wealth can numb us to the pain of life. In the Psalms, the Psalms actually talk about this in Psalm 119 70 through. Seventy-two. The psalmist says he's talking about people that uh, believe lies and people that kind of have bought into how the world normally operates. The psalmist says their their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. And this is this is what he says: It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I felt pain, so that I might learn your statutes. The law is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Think millions of dollars. Lazarus didn't have the independence or freedom to shield himself from the pain of being poor. He was afflicted. More on that in a bit. But one, the truth of God can hide behind the wealth of this world. Please know that. Two, the truth can hide behind facts. This is my favorite one. And you may say, well, isn't that what a fact is? It's true, right? We all know what we did with facts this year, right? (laughs) I hope this helps us understand some of what happened to us this year in in our world. Verse 29 through 31. But Abraham said... So remember... uh, This rich man says, send somebody back to my brother so they don't have to go to this place of torment. And Abraham said, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. (laughs) And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Um, I, want, I want you to think about that with me right now. That this is the plight of human beings. <clears throat> that we can take factual evidence that's right in front of our noses and suppress it. Pretend like it's not there. Uh, pretend that we are owners. When we know that we are squatters and it's very easy... Uh, I'm talking. I know. I'm talking to church people right now. It's very easy for church people to immediately go, "Yeah, that's what the world does." No, this is what every human being does. This is a holistic claim because disbelief functions for us at each stage of your life. You have the voice of God, and then you have other voices. And at each stage of our lives, whether we're religious or not, we have that option. To listen or not. Not having an authoritative voice on the outside helps us align the truth with our biases as opposed to aligning ourselves with the truth. So, for instance, you ever wonder, I'm, I'm gonna say something that's gonna be like, uh-oh, was it you know, it's talking about sex. Uh, have you ever wondered why we have certain boundaries with sex that we can all agree on currently? Which I know is a, it's an outlandish statement. Like, for instance, um, incest is wrong. You know, everybody kind of agrees with that, right? Consent, it's good. That's a good thing. Proper. Why do we think these things? Are they self-evident truths that we've arrived at in our own modern culture and everyone just kind of knows that it's right? What this passage shows us is that sometimes we can take self-evident facts and ignore them like these brothers so that we can keep living our lives like we want to. And the scary part is, when we are biased, As a culture, what we can do is that we can adapt the truth to fit our culture, and it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not, that if you do not submit to the scriptures, which is how they talked about the Bible back then, Moses and the prophets, you don't listen to God, um, you will take what you see and twist it for your own self-destruction. That's why we desperately need a voice from the outside, telling us which way to go. Uh, a voice that is trans-ethnic, transcultural, and timeless, but still has a distinctive truth throughout the ages. And you know what, um, that's what Christianity offers you. It is the most malleable ideology it is the most malleable truth that that gets into every culture but still remains distinctive because it's centered on Jesus Christ the good news that the god who speaks authoritatively is the god who loves you who sees you and who cares about you and it gets everywhere that's the kingdom it's just hidden and at the cross what What God was saying to us through his son is that the truth is now out in the open. This is is the God that's offered to you, a God who would give his life for you, who would lay down his estate for you, lay down his very love for you. So point one, that the truth hides behind wealth and facts without the help of God. Two, the reversal of truth, and this is found in verses 22 27. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here. And you are in English. And besides all this, there's a great chasm that's fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you then, Father, send them to my father's house. Um, what does this mean? What does it mean that the truth is uh, there's a great reversal in truth? Well, what appeared to be true on earth uh, may not be true in the afterlife. So, um, Lazarus is comforted, not to speak of the opposite. That's how they talked in Nigeria. I heard somebody say that once. Um, That's the language of heaven. So, what was true of him on earth uh, is not true of heaven. The other side is true as well. The rich man is tormented in the afterlife, not to speak of the opposite. He had his good things on earth, and it's not wrong to be rich, but if you make wealth into your identity, what happens is that it will reverse itself on you. That's what happens. If you put anything in the place of your identity, it will reverse itself on you, cave in on you. The only person and the only thing that can hold that place in your heart is the God of the universe. The reason, okay, so this is why this is compelling to me. Um, It's compelling because what is perceived in my own life as being a curse or something that's hard uh, is actually the very thing that could be drawing me straight to God, to know who He is, to love Him, to accept His love for me. That's what Psalm 119 says. It's good for me that I was afflicted because it led me to see that you're better, you're actually better than like millions of dollars, and that you believe that from your heart. Okay, let's make it more personal. Uh, When someone gets in my way, in the way of my comfort or my ease in this life, I generally get frustrated. I don't know if you're like this, but you know, I am. um, and, And I think, if only this thing or this person or this circumstance wasn't in my life, I'd be happy. But what if the truth is the opposite? You know, what if those things are in my life now precisely because God wants to, to bring me happiness? God wants to bring me to himself. And that, that, that's there because God want, wants me to know him. wants me to say, this, this all belongs to you. One thing this parable is showing us is that we are all like Lazarus as we come into this world. We're beggars. You know, Martin Luther, the old German one, said that was one of his last words. He, He said, we are all beggars. This is true. Some of us can just hide our neediness better than others through appearance or working hard. You can pick your poison. But my guess is I don't have to convince anyone in the room of this. But especially if you believe in Jesus Christ. That if there is a God who speaks to you, he definitely reveals himself to you through goodness, through creation, but he screams to you through pain. That's what C.S. Lewis said. If you believe in God, you know it to be true. It's the times of deepest faith in your life when it wasn't easy, and it isn't easy, and you sense him there. That's the great reversal, that the things that you've been desperately working hard to avoid your whole life are the exact places where God's bringing you so that he can pour himself out into you and so that you can be known by him, so that you can see heaven, so that you can be his, and he can be yours. So you can finally say, God, I want it your way. The whole thing belongs to you. I belong to you. Show me the way. Reverse my life. Help me repent. Point one, the hiddenness of truth. Point two, the reversal of truth. And point three, the humility of truth. How do you know if you know the truth? You know, this is, this is one of the places where um, people accuse Christians of being like super prideful. And it sounds better if, you know, like an ag- I always say there's no honest agnostic in the world which is the hardest truth to believe, and we can talk about that later. But um, We're going to talk about 1 John here in the next coming weeks, but there is a way to know that you know God and have assurance of that. And here's what this passage shows us about true knowledge. True knowledge is always rooted in being humble, in being like Lazarus, Humility starts just like it did in the Garden of Eden by listening to God's word because you trust that he's good with the knowledge that he has. It is very, very important for you to understand why the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the way that he did. He tempted them with the knowledge of good and evil, which apparently was not knowledge that we should have ever known. And we couldn't handle it. And that's why we're all so confused. That's why we fell. Because we don't know how to make sense of good and bad. That was meant for God. And so we come back to the scripture. And we say, okay, God, what's true? We come back to the Bible and we say, show us what's true. And I have many friends now, when I tell them to go back to the scriptures, will say Friends who've left the church. Uh, Well, whose interpretation of Scripture? Because there are many. Mm. And the answer is Scripture's interpretation of Scripture read in the context of community, wherever you are. No one person has the perfect absolute take on the interpretation of Scripture. We need each other in this room so that we can see every aspect of the truth from God's word, because we all come into this world like Lazarus, limited in our knowledge, limited in our biases, limited in our story. Think about this parable. Can you imagine, you know, you know what uh, humility does? It produces curiosity in our lives. I know that's a, kind of a big word today, but I, I really like it. Uh, to be curious about somebody else. Think about this rich man actually being curious about Lazarus. Instead of just putting him in a box, like, oh, I can just dismiss him. I can categorize him. I know what you think. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to assent to you. What if if this rich man said, "What, what does this poor man have to show me and reveal to me about myself and about my relationship with God? What would that have produced in the rich man's life? Change, right? He would have had to see him as a person. And what pride says to other people and back to God, I already know who you are. God, I already know what you say. I don't need to hear anymore. And humility says, would you tell me about yourself? And then you turn to God, would you tell me about yourself? I've been married maybe 12 years. I, I feel like I barely know Sarah. And we keep learning new things about each other. I mean, God's eternal. Uh, Let's say you grew up Christian and uh, you're struggling in some way. And so you want to talk to the pastor and you sit down over lunch and coffee or however you meet with your pastor. And the pastor says to you after you kind of talk about your struggle. He says, why don't you open up the scriptures and, and hear from God again? What's your response to that? I know, I know what I would respond to that. Like, I already know what the Bible says. Tell me something helpful, you know? I've already done that. And um, let, me, let me just give you my experience. I, like, I've read through the Bible, I don't know, 10 times in my life. And no kidding, I'll read the Bible at least a few times a year, and I'll read a verse and I'm like, I am convinced that that is not in the Bible. I would have remembered it from, you know, last year and the previous times. I'm like, there's, there's no way that verse should, should be there, or at least I would remember it. And it seems that the more I read, the more I realize how little I know about this scripture, not like in a depressing way, but in an exploratory way. And It feels like I'm like a little ant swimming in an ocean, and I'm just getting a little whiff of what it's about. And it becomes more and more, the more you look into Scripture, it becomes like that Harry Potter book that literally becomes alive. And it helps you make sense of your, your life and the world. And it's like, I, I think what's happening is that like your brain and your heart can't really take it in at first. But the more you look at it and the more you give yourself to it, the more you actually can see what it's saying, it becomes sort of, I don't know, uh, magical. In the ancient world, they had these baskets that they would dip in the water. And the more they dipped in, the weave of the baskets would swell and the basket would become a bowl so that the water could actually be in the bottom of the bowl. And I think that that's how God intended for His Word to be with us, and that the more you come back to it, the more you become a vessel that can actually retain Him. That you become solid enough to enjoy Him. That you look into it and, and you you see something that the bowl has, and and it's the face of Jesus Christ on every page. That you begin to see, oh, it all it all fits together. Uh, More so than my life, and my life actually becomes happy when I get it in line with this. And it's like it's like better than money. Come on, nobody, nobody in this room really believes that, right? It's true. To know God from the heart is to actually know why you know things. To assent that you live on his estate. Every person, whether you're Christian or not, struggles with that at each moment of our lives. And when you submit to him like that, what what begins to happen is that when other people are around you, they sense that you have Christ, that you have the truth, and they want it. That's how you know things. To look at Jesus and, and you see, like when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in scripture, and, and you begin to say, I, I submit. And I'm so happy. Um, that is offered to you today. Now look, I, I know you because I know myself. Uh, we can We can act like this is true in this room, but... The, the real challenge is when, when you go out there and it doesn't seem like any of this is true. What, what I want you to remember is the truth is hidden. Jesus promised that. So come back to the word to gain clarity, to feel pain so that it draws you to him. Let's pray. Father, we trust that all of our
1: consciousness, all of our breath, all of our life, into the